ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's the weekly catch-up about the uh, political stories we've been covering here on One News. I'm Benedict Collins. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay. All right, let's get into this. Some highlights for the week. Jess? Uh, my highlight for the week was a line from the Finance Minister, Grant Robertson, directed at Christopher Luxon, um, calling him a cheap imitation of the former national leader, John Key, saying the fake Gucci bag of a leader fading in the sunlight under a bit of pressure, the weak stitching is fraying, the gold lettering is flaking away. Uh, I just thought that was quite a funny line. I'm, I'm not sure if it was the ministers or one of his staffers, but um, he d- definitely delivered it with a lot of glee. So that was my Uh, Nice burn. No one quite delivers the general debate speeches like Grant Robertson, I must say. He is my favourite. He always brings a lot of gusto, quick wit, funny lines. Um, Yeah, he's always very entertaining and usually has props as well. He had a photograph of uh, Hawaii, was it? it Or Te Puke. Yeah, Te Puke, the kiwi fruit. Who would know? Certainly not Christopher Luxon. (laughs) Um, my peak uh, of the uh, last couple of weeks, we've had three weeks of recess here at Parliament, so everyone away from uh, the the House and, and the Beehive back in their electorates. But what we did have was Youth Parliament, uh, and so we had a bunch of youngsters, keen and ready at Parliament, representing uh, various MPs, and we also had a small press gallery uh, of youngsters, which was very cool. And I just think it's a great opportunity just for those young people to experience what it's like being in the halls of power. They give speeches and ask questions of the Prime Minister and other ministers uh, in the House and I just like it's just such an awesome thing to do. Yeah my highlight of the week and we'll talk more about this later but was a tweet from a former uh, New Zealand first staffer Robert Johnson who tweeted don't blame it on the sunshine don't blame it on the moonlight don't blame it on the good times blame it on Tapuki. Right any lowlights this week Jess? I think my pit of this week was how dangerous it is to be a moderator of a political debate. Uh, We've seen two instances of this. Um, One was in the UK with the moderator um, fainting in the middle of interviewing the candidates hopefully hopeful to become Prime Minister, so that was pretty dangerous. Um, And then poor Jack Tame um, embroiled in an egg-throwing um, debate at Auckland University this week too and being sprayed with eggs when someone didn't like what one of the uh, contestants for the mayoralty debate, debate was saying. So I just think it just shows just how perilous the job of moderating political debates is. So I, I, I think that was, a, that was a hard pill to swallow this week. Bit of a time-honoured tradition, I think, throwing eggs at Auckland University uh, political debates. Yeah. I think I can remember... It's Rodney Hyde or Richard Preble getting egged at a um, when I was back at a student at the um, yeah at it Auckland was cake University. One election, I remember someone got cake smushed in their face or whipped cream smushed in their face, like it was something slightly more nice smelling. Anyway, right. and yeah, Mikey. I mean, eggs are pretty sore, really. Uh, yeah. Not that I've been, you know, the victim of an egg assault before, but I can only imagine the shell cracking. You know, that first initial impact. I was at you school know? a victim of my car being egged at school. I can't really remember what it was about, but it was quite traumatic at the time. I think oh, I'd done. Yeah. That's unfortunate. I know, I know. It was um, really hard to clean off as well. PTSD, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if I'd been like rocking in the corner. <laughs> it was something, I'd probably done something stupid or 
dumb or mean to someone, but I doubt that was good payback. Utu, Utu, good payback. Utu, My pit actually is keeping in theme with the uh, youth parliament, uh, and that is the criticism uh, that stemmed around the maskless photo. Uh, and so the Prime Minister took a photo with the youth MPs and for a split second they there they took their masks off in order to take a photo uh, and it was um, turned into a new story uh, criticising the Prime Minister for not being a good sort of role model um, and so on and so forth. I was actually there watching that photograph being taken and, you know, the guy who was running it was very clear with all the young people, you know, everyone keep your mask on. As soon as the Prime Minister shows up, whip it off. They whipped it off, snap, snap, snap. Everyone put their masks back on. And I just think it was a little bit... It wasn't a story that I would have done, to be honest. Um, I think that, you know, you've got to weigh up, um, you know, between, you know, the, the kind of um, being a good example, but then also knowing that, one, you know, we see the Prime Minister whip her mask off for photographs all of the time. Every politician does it. It's nothing new. The other thing is is that it really kind of like took away the shine and it was the only kind of reporting that we did see from large media outlets on this kaupapa, which is Youth Parliament. And so that was a bit of a bummer thing to happen for those kids who are really like enthusiastic about being at Parliament and, and experiencing that whole thing and to get kind of dragged into this whole photo faux pas. I don't think that the kind of the end was worth it necessarily, um, especially like I say, when we always see the prime minister, even for interviews in Parliament, taking off her mask and you know other photographs. So I just thought mm, that was a bit of a bummer. Well, I thought you were going to give you a new troll to serve. Oh, who? Who's that? Which one? I've got so many <laughs> trolls. Tohinari. Oh, he should be lucky that I even say his name on this podcast. <laughs> All right, moving right along then. I was thinking give me a few highlights of the political week. Uh, we had um, two uh, well, future retirees coming up in the National Party. We had Ian McKelvey um, and David Bennett um, both announced this week that they'll be heading on at the next election. Um, yeah, David, David Bennett, um, they both came out and talked to the press gallery, asked if it had anything to do with the um, uh, latest book put out by Andrew Vance, Blue Blood, um, which uh, you know reportedly said he was hauled into um, John Key's office and, and reprimanded for his wild behaviour at the um, at the third floor pub in the Beehive. Uh, he said that wasn't true. He, um, uh, but he often says things aren't true, which were true. For example, um, encouraging people to go out and panic buy at the start of the pandemic, which he also denied having said, although he said so in an interview. Nick Smith former National Party colleague as well. He's running for mayor in Nelson, where he is very popular. Um, I remember going down there a few times when he was in trouble as an MP and the locals just spoke so highly of him there. So it um, be interesting to see, um, yeah, whether he gets over the line there in the mayoralty. And long-running serious fraud investigation into the mysterious New Zealand First Foundation. They came back and uh, the, the two people charged there who both have name suppression um, were found not guilty. So Winston Peters is celebrating, um, you know, and, and, and blaming the media um, f- for this whole case coming about, Whoa, um, that, even though he was charged by the new. serious fraud office. Yeah, that's a really new original mm. move for Winston Peters, but, isn't it? Blaming yeah. the media. And now there's quite a lot oh. of talk about whether they're going to need to change the law so that, um, you know, parties can't operate these mysterious foundations and hide the people who are um, 
donating money to them. The interesting thing about Nick Smith is that he obviously left under, you know, sort of suspicious circumstances. 100%. Um, and claims of uh, not treating his staff That's very right. well. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see whether he, you know, is, is capable of managing even more staff on an even larger scale at a council level. Um, the other thing uh, for my old mate uh, Ian McAlvey uh, is that uh, the two fun facts about Ian McAlvey is that he's one of the nicest MPs that I've come across and also, as everyone knows at Parliament, he's the richest. He also had a really good line um, when he was doing it at the speech saying, oh, look, I'm a, you know, I'm a bit long in the tooth and if I was a you, I'd be put out to pasture. Like it was quite a, <laughs> ni- like it was a nice line. I He's he's very affable, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's really nice, really. Yeah. Nice. So all the best to Ian McAlvey and David Bennett. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see whether um, other um, MPs, I guess, we'll be finding out sort of in the next, maybe early next year or later this year. You know, which 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 other MPs might sort of follow them, decide they've um, to call time and bring on, um, you know, new people into their parties. So yeah, it'll be interesting space to watch. New blue blood. Yeah, and um, speaking of. Um, new blood, the Greens might be looking for a um, new co-leader at the moment, Mikey. Yes, this has been one of the most interesting sagas ever developing every other day um, in, in, in a little while now here at Parliament, uh, the Green Party. So basically the story was uh, kicked off um, by the uh, uni publication Salient Magazine um, and reporter Azaria Howell, um, who had come across a Facebook post um, from the Young Greens, members of the Young Greens, who were organising to have a hui in order to figure out how to force reopening nominations against James Shaw, saying um, that many of them were unhappy with his leadership. And then you had others who were responding to that post saying, yes, they, they, they love what Marama Davidson is doing, but they want someone on par with her. Um, and so, you know, I started making calls into this, chatting to a bunch of young Green members um, uh about two weeks ago, I think. It was the second week of recess. And because it was recess, MPs aren't really around and, um, you know, MPs wouldn't really front uh, on a story like this. So you didn't have an opportunity to kind of interview James Shaw at the time. So I thought, all right, look, we'll leave it there um, and we'll just see how it sort of bubbles away. And then I noticed that the next week on the Monday he was appearing before a select committee for his climate change portfolio at Parliament. So my cameraman and I, Sam Anderson, we went along and um, we were the only media there. And then afterwards we interviewed James Shaw and put these, um, you know, concerns to him and this this plot essentially to overthrow him. And he acknowledged that, you know, there are people who have been wanting to see the back of me ever since they saw the front of me. But I think one of his big mistakes, and it's been a mistake um, that he's sort of uh, had throughout, is his dismissal um, of, of the concerns that were raised and the potential threat that he faced. So he said stuff like, 
look, I don't concern myself with what people write on Facebook. Mm. And I said to him, look, these aren't just, you know, random trolls on Facebook. These are your paid up members of the Green Party who are plotting essentially to overthrow you. And are critical of you, right? And mm. are critical of you. And the other crucial thing is it wasn't a once off. It wasn't the first time he'd been challenged at the last AGM. So it was like a growing pattern of discontent towards James Shaw and something therefore that he needed to take a little bit more seriously than I don't concern myself with what people write on Facebook. And so we put that story to air that Monday night. And then the next morning, the Green Party put out a press release at about 8.30am saying, um, look, we've decided to move our AGM, which was set down for that weekend in Christchurch, we've decided to move it online due to COVID fears. And of course, the alarm bells ring. And none of us in our office thought, look, it's because of the story that we've done or the kind of impending threat to his co-leadership. But it was interesting. And, and just the mere fact that we'd done the story the night before meant we needed to follow it up. So I put in an interview request at about quarter to nine in the morning. Can I interview Marama and James Shaw, please? I'm walking into work under Bowen House, for those who know the area. And lo and behold, James Shaw walks past me. And so we stop and we have this conversation and I say to him, oh, look, I've just chucked in an interview request. Are you free today? He says, I might have a half an hour window. We, I walk away. I, t I text the media manager immediately saying, hey, James Shaw says he's got half an hour. He's keen. And I lock it in. He's keen. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to him in person. And then I got a response uh, at some point later that morning saying, no, we're not going to front anyone for an interview. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the statement speaks for itself. Well, I'm standing watching the youth parliamentarians take their photo with the Prime Minister, right, as we've just mentioned. And... Elizabeth Kerekere and Ricardo Menendez March, two Green MPs, are there looking on as well, enjoying enjoying themselves. So I ring up my cameraman and say, Sam, get up here now, mate, bring the mic. And that's when we interview those two. After I interview Ricardo, who walks by? It's James Shaw and, and it's all on. The James, lack of Mikey I, Sherman. <laughs> James, can I please get an interview with you? And then, so he does this interview reluctantly, but but bless him, he did it. You know, mm. he didn't just walk by. And then I say to my cameraman, "Look, mate, just pop into that event there with the youngsters and James and get some pictures of him." And then my cameraman walks out and he says, "Hey, Madam is in there too." <laughs> so I go in there and I say, "Come on, Madam, I've already interviewed James." And this is obviously after the interview had been declined initially. So that's how that sort of that, that next story played out. And then on the Saturday, boom, bombshell. James Shaw is, is out of the co-leadership role. 30% of the members want him gone. He holds a press conference at 5.30 on the, on the tiles at Parliament. Always and handy he, for the 6 o'clock bulletin. And he eh? is absolutely shook. He's mm. shaken. He yeah. is, you know, it was all over his face. He was stumbling through some of his statements and it really caught them by some sort of surprise. So I think what's really interesting taking a step back and looking at this big picture is that I think the Greens have done a really good job recently of straddling the two different sides of their party. So you've got the climate change focus on the environment side of things, um, you know, making sure you're holding businesses to account, etc., which James Shaw represents. And then you've got the... And, and James Shaw probably represents that sort of so-called Kelvin mum or the young, educated um, Aucklander who 
want to support the Green Movement. And then you've got the other side of the party, which um, Marama Davidson probably more wholly represents, which is more of that activist side of things, your Sue Bradfords, your Catherine Delahunty's, that kind of more old-school Green party. And I think what the party has done is straddled those two sides really well recently, and you can see that in the poll results. They've been doing a really good job, and I think this leadership contest exposes those two different factions in the party and I think they're going to have to do a really big job to try and repair that and try and get back to that again because it just seems you can feel like the Greens must be banging their heads against the wall. They're doing well in the polls. They're getting some runs on the board. Yep, they've been a bit quiet, but they're not doing too bad considering they're in government. And then this happens and it's just such a mess and you can imagine it's going to hurt them in support as well. It makes them look messy and it makes them look indecisive. Yeah, I find the like the really interesting thing, kind of watching what's played out, is that they'll challenge, you know, and they'll, and they'll sort of remove, they'll open up that position that James Shaw's held as co-leader, but yet there's no obvious sort of uh, replacement there, right? Like we were sort of, people have been throwing around names like oh, Chloe Swarbrick, etc., who's ruled herself out. Um, Elizabeth Kitty the other night um, for your story was at, out at the airport and she landed and, and came up and was like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about standing. Um, you, know, you know, the members have sent a pretty clear message to the party. I'm going to think about it overnight and I'll go to caucus tomorrow morning. So this was Monday night, so Tuesday morning we'll go, I'll go to caucus and I'll put out a statement. I'll make up my mind by the end of that. I don't want to muck around. And she didn't muck around at all. She um, actually announced before caucus that she wasn't standing. But yeah, what do you? T- what's your take on this, Mikey? I think at the heart of this is that it's not, for, you know, for these Green Party members, and I think we need to remember that, you know, this party was born of Green activism. That was, you know, the Jeanette Fitzsimons, the Rod Donalds, they were all hardcore activists. They, That is what the party was, has always been, and it's only been since everyone else started waking up to the threat of climate change, like those kind of, you know... Um, uh, you know, more centre voters, if you like, and those Calburn mums. Now that we've all decided we need to, you know, buy our flash keep cups and use our, you know, reusable shopping bags, everyone's decided to get on the waka. But the waka was originally being paddled by these hardcore activists. So I think there needs to be a little bit of respect paid to to those groups and not just to kind of cast them off as some fringe kind of ginger group. Um, and so at the heart of this then for them is not the polls, it's the principle. It's the principle that for them this whole issue of climate change, as Catherine Delahunty has said, you know, um, you know, we're drowning and the world's on fire and we are um, not going further and faster enough. That's where they're coming from. So I think like it's fair to understand um, their desire for more when you've got a, a, a kind of co-leader who is in this privileged position of being the climate change minister who can't even say that we need fewer cows in New Zealand mm-hmm. despite agriculture being the biggest contributor to our emissions. Yeah, like, I wonder but what they think when they sit there as a Green Party activist and look at your co-leader who who won't even say we need fewer cows when you've got Barbara Kuriga and, and Trevor Mallard, you know, senior Labour and National MPs, going way harder than he is. But the and he's a green co-leader. Is sitting in the opposition benches, able to say lines like that and not being able to affect change. And I think that's something that they've got to remember. You can be as loud and as passionate as you want to from the opposition benches. You have to be sitting at the table to be able to make change. And the Greens don't have leverage. And that's what we've got to remember. Labour can do it by themselves. The fact that James Shaw is a minister is because 
he's been given it by the Prime Minister, not because they had leverage to win it. And I think that's what the Greens have got to remember in this situation, that they've they've sat on the opposition benches before and they've been in a supply agreement with the government, confidence and supply agreement with the government before. What, what chance do you have to have your say more? And that's what they've got to think about. It's yeah. certainly... Sorry, Bernard. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking just before about they're doing pretty well in the polls. I'd argue he's also doing a pretty fine job as climate change minister. You know, they've got a lot of the clean car um, discount scheme, you know, really having a huge impact on the number of EVs that we're bringing into the country. Um, you know, the Carbon Zero Act, getting getting that overboard, working across, across the House, getting all the parties pretty much... To, you know, to sign up and to agree it into the you know for the future of our country, but I don't think that still stops you from being able to say we need fewer cows. Yeah, sure. Right, you can still <laughs> you can still stick up for your your party's principles, right? Mm. I guess you just have to wear two hats. Eh? It's it, it is about wearing two hats, and I think what I think what the good takeaway from this will be for James Shaw in particular is like just just kind of that recognising that that he, you know, and, and he said this in his statement that he put out on Facebook yesterday, which was a really kind of honest kind of plea to the party and an acknowledgement of the concerns, I think. And he said, look, if I'm honest, I, and this is a quote, I've found it hard to get the mix right between being a minister and a co-leader. Um, and, and so I think that's like acknowledging that, you know, they do want to at least hear it, you know, even if they can't see, um, you know, the minister sort of saying, yep, let's cut the number of cows tomorrow. But even just being able to articulate the need to move into that space, I think, is is like the kind of the bare minimum, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. It's still not over yet. Uh, so yesterday we had uh, Green MP Teano Tuiono come out saying, in a press conference, uh, saying he's thinking about contesting the co-leadership. Um, on the one hand, it's like, dude, why did why don't you just send that out in a tweet or a Facebook <laughs> post like everyone else? On the other hand, I could sort of understand uh, him when he said, look, I'm just hoping that I could hold this press conference so you guys could stop hounding me on my phone or chasing me in the hallways. Now, granted, I was waiting for him outside a select <laughs> he committee yesterday. I had been calling and hounding. Uh, but uh, luckily for him, he zoomed into that select committee, so I didn't quite get him in the hallways yesterday, but... But happy for the uh, stand-up press conference, nonetheless. One thing I, oh, one thing I was going to say that I thought was quite funny is before the um, Greens conference at the weekend, um, one of their staffers came round and was, I think, quite concerned about images of um, Morris dancing or the like being shown on the news. Um, turns out they had far bigger problems to worry about, and they probably would have <laughs> much rather traded Morris dancing um, for that. The other thing that I was just going to say very quickly is just the lack of strategic thinking. Like, it, it's not that hard in politics to think one or two steps ahead. They didn't do that when making this decision. They hadn't, didn't even have a viable candidate. So that's just one more thing I'd add. Yeah, were you surprised Chloe Swarbrick isn't running? I was surprised, but, you know, you know the Greens, they're all so nice. You know, they don't want to be seen to be sort of, you know, cutting anyone off at the knees, especially the boss. I think she um, It was numbers. very, very, very... Sh- I, I well, it goes out to... The, it's a bit different, right? It goes out to the But do you, party. Do you think she has the numbers? Would she? Well, it goes out to all the party oh, she's pretty popular. Right? She's pretty popular. Um, you know, she's pretty popular. I wouldn't put well, it... She's enormously popular. Yeah. I would have thought... Just look at our preferred prime minister. I mean, I um, mean, the Green Party She's the only one who keeps popping up there. The Green Party. This is the thing. The Green Party polls aren't really going to change that much. They're not. They're not. They've got nothing much new to add um, in the next sort of year 
to the next election. So really, they I'd expect them to co- sort of coast on where they are in the polls at the moment. As we can see, those numbers aren't going to cut it at the next election for Labour and the Greens. So something needs to change. And perhaps if they, you know, if Chloe did put her hand up, it could it could have gone terribly wrong. Or it could have been like a boost of something new, something fresh um, that the party needed, not just with the membership, but just with voters in general. And there's still one more conference before the election. I mean, it worked pretty well for Labour, right? Putting their, um, you know, when Andrew Little stood down um, and they put their vastly more popular uh, MP, Jacinda Ardern, in charge, um, you know, led to a remarkable turnaround for the Labour Party. Anyway, moving on. Aloha, Mr Luxon. Yeah, this was an interesting one. Got a tip about this and um, the, actually got the tip that he had stayed with John Key as well and that element of it was not correct. But it was the first time that we've seen Christopher Luxon on his feet on a live issue and um, I think it was a test for him because you saw him responding to something that he hadn't prepped with his pre-sex in the back room and wasn't a particularly comfortable thing for him to talk about. I want to be clear... It's not about the holiday, and it's not even particularly about going to Hawaii. It's about posting on your social media saying you were here in New Zealand, and it wasn't just one, there were several. So I, I think it was it was an interesting, fun little political yarn that gave an insight into, into how Christopher Luxon ticks. And I played quite a few of the Q&A in my story that night, getting my questions and his reaction to that. Um, and, it, you know, that's why TV is a powerful thing. You get you see the whites of their eyes as they react to things. I found it interesting sort of watching, you know, watching it play out during the day, you know, oh, you know, it's sort of a bit caught off guard. But, you know, within a few hours you're saying, hey, no, we got this wrong. We shouldn't have been posting that I was, you know, while I was in, on holiday in Hawaii with my family. We shouldn't have been posting videos, you know, that made it look like he was um, in Tipuki visiting businesses, which is actually happened the week before. You know, you can probably see it from his social media content team. They're like, oh, the boss is away next week. We need need to save a few videos to roll out then. Um, but yeah, it, it, was, it did give a misleading um, uh, picture and he um, he's, he's worn it, it on it, the chin. It reminds me of the influencers who save up their best bunch of pics, like whether they were in Paris for like four days, but then they'll like post them up for a whole month to make it look as though they're like living it up 24 7. Here's um, an idea <laughs> Throwback Thursday. <laughs> Just put a little hashtag on it, should do. Um, the other thing that I thought was very uh, interesting was how Christopher Luxon was like, no, I was in Hawaii, as we tend to do every July. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I was just like, God, the guy. You know, like, I love it. I mean, you work hard. Let's go to Hawaii, baby. But One day, Mikey. One just, day. I just think that those little, you know, for his media minders, just little additions like that, as we tend to do every July. That, you know, the public pr- probably don't want to hear that during a living crisis, uh, cost of living crisis. So probably just keep that last little detail. To yourself. It was also kind of <laughs> fascinating, right? Because National had put out a call. Um, so what happens on a Tuesday morning is we, we go out and we go and do the Labour Party caucus run where all the Labour Party MPs walk past us and, and their ministers and we can stop them and chat to them. And then after that, we pretty much immediately go up to the third floor um, and do the same thing with National and all their, most of their MPs will walk past us and we can talk to them. And National had put out a statement calling for a public inquiry into the um, uh, you know, the amount of money that had been spent by the government and how that had played into the cost of living crisis. 
And you could sort of see by the timing that, you know, we got a few questions into to ministers about it and stuff on Labour Caucus. But um, pretty quickly after, um, everyone was just talking about Hawaii. And that, I guess, will be why they're so frustrated, because coming back after a pretty quiet three-week recess for them, not getting a lot of runs on the board, and they were hoping to have a little bit of momentum. But that's, that's politics, my friends. It is indeed. Now, cost of living. It just feels like with this topic that... The people are struggling, right? Yeah. And the, the Prime Minister, it, it feels like they're just not really getting it. Yep, they're doing the cost of living payments, but we shouldn't... I just don't know if there's enough acknowledgement of that from the Prime Minister and the government. And I also think it's just one of those issues that if, it, if people continue feeling the way they do now, that's the issue that will lose them the election. And I think it's going to be something they're going to have to get on top of. It's not about what we're doing. It's about how people are feeling at home. And they're feeling like they can't buy a coffee because the cost of their petrol's gone up. Um, they can't get those extras at the supermarket because the cost of things has gone up. That, when people are feeling it at home, that's what makes people vote a different way at the election. Yeah, interesting. Um going past petrol, um, uh, petrol stations, seeing the, the prices really come back. Um, it's dropped 40, 50 cents, I think, in the last few days. Oh, really? And, and yeah. um, Megan Woods actually wrote to the petrol companies at the end of last week saying, because they can tell what sort of margins they're making on their fuel, and they were making record margins at the end of last week. So she wrote to them, um, and very quickly prices came down even even further. Um, so th- that should ease things a bit on people, particularly people you know who are having to... Um, drive, you know, commute to work every day um, should ease things a bit. Trades. But then you've got then you've got all your food, um, you know, your, your food costs have just gone through the roof, right? Yeah. So it was. A, I think it was a good move by the government to extend out that fuel tax and that half price public transport until January next year. So a bit of an early Christmas present for the public and certainly something that's needed, especially during winter. Um, But it was a little bit cheeky the way in which the government did announce it. Like we had no kind of indication that they were going to be extending it out. Um, And lo and behold, they called a sort of spontaneous press conference on On a a Sunday. Mikey Sherman to the rescue. Which, you know, pulled me away from my Sunday roast. And uh, and we um, and we covered that off, and that was um, uh, very conveniently. It was uh, the day before the um, June quarter inflation rate was released, which kind of just tipped over that seven percent. So um, uh, a little bit um, of some uh, strategic announcements uh, there by the government just ahead of that. Cool. Any final thoughts? No? Excellent. Well, that was One News Inside Parliament, our regular catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, and it's available most weeks on One News Online, and you can check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Cheers. (laughs) 